When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's the beautiful thing about Cyril and actually all these characters, whether they're on the imperial side or the rebel side, they're actually all staging their many rebellions. They're all really just going against what their superiors, what their family, what everybody else is telling them to do because of this one thing, Cassian. Stock up on space cereal, everyone, because we are about to feast on Star Wars. That's exactly what we do each and every week here on the Dagobah Dispatch. Speaking of space cereal, what does it taste like? Anyway, uh, we asked Kyle Solar, who plays Cyril Karn on Andor, and you will get his surprising answer as we chat with the former corporate security officer this week on the show. We'll also talk about episode nine of Andor, and I have a very important question for my co-host. So grab your blue milk as it is go time, everyone. I am Dalton Ross, joined by my partners in podcasting crime, Devin Kogan and Lauren Morgan, who who last time I checked were busy organizing a podcasting crossover episode that I was not invited to, but that's cool. I'm not feeling <laughs> left out or anything. Uh, what are you two in cahoots about this week, uh, Devin? Uh, well, we did uh, do our, our little crossover episode where we Lauren did. co-hosts um, West of Westeros, which is our Game of Thrones House of the Dragon podcast, and uh, Christian Holub and I co-host the um, Lord of the Rings podcast. So we we had a little we had a fun little little crossover episode where we talked uh, dragons, ants, and elves. But I'm I'm excited to be back, you know, in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, everyone should check that out if you're a fan of either of those shows. And I was a fan of both of them. Although I will say. I thought Rings of Power was better, but I know that's probably yes. a hot take. Maybe that's a hot take. <laughs> I don't know. But I, you know what? I wasn't invited on the podcast to say well, there my you take. Go. You, so you, can, there you couldn't is. defend yourself. So it'd that's be exactly. funny if we just turned it into a, we, we just talk about it even more right now. Yeah. Uh, we can't stop ourselves. All right, uh, <laughs> but but we're going to talk some Andor in, in a minute, and we're going to have Kyle Solar on in, in a little bit who plays uh, Cyril Karn with the wasp in his mouth. But I, I have a question for you both. Um. Devin, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts on celebrating Christmas before Thanksgiving? Absolutely not. This is, this is, I feel very strongly about this. I think that Christmas has crept way too early. I think that Christmas is a, after the Black Friday is the earliest you can celebrate Christmas. Okay. Lauren, your thoughts? Okay, I generally agree with that, but I do enjoy that I can now threaten my daughter that I'm going to call Santa Claus if she doesn't behave. So I have moved that up. Like, you know, now today is the day where I can start to threaten to call Santa Claus, but I don't want to hear any Christmas music until Black Friday. So that's how that's I fair. I think that's yeah. a, I think that's solid parenting. Yeah. So yeah. I used to I threatened my kids with that Santa Claus trick so often when they're mm -hmm. young that literally got to the point where all I do was this is back in the days when, like, as my kids are older, like, when I had like a flip phone, and I literally would just take the flip phone out of my pocket oh. 
And they'd be like, oh my God, he's calling Santa. Like literally, <laughs> that's just how many times they I did that. I threaten her with my, I'm like, I'm going to text Santa Claus. So yeah. I'm going to enjoy my next two months of being able to do that. So Big texter, Santa Claus, big texter. Big uh, he's on the WhatsApp. You can get to him any <laughs> which way. But Luce, uh, I'm I'm generally right with both of you all. You know, like SiriusXM just like launched like their holiday channels. I think Mariah Carey, I just saw on the Twitter yep. mm-hmm. uh, today uh, for the few weeks that I still have a blue check mark left that she <laughs> is like her, like all I want for Christmas is re-entered the top 100 already. And I'm like, can we just wait till Thanksgiving? I've got a hard rule on that. And I'm glad to hear you two both uh, do as well. Although I was a little worried. I was a little concerned because uh, in our little Star Wars podcast Slack channel a few weeks back, Lauren Morgan is putting in Christmas paraphernalia. Oh, yeah. So here's what Lauren did. Let me break it down for you. She puts in a little (laughs) image of something with a link and the caption that she puts beneath it is, I would have bought this if it wasn't sold out. (laughs) And what it was (laughs) is an Ewok musical Christmas tree. That sells for $65 at the online Disney store. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, all right, like, why, like, why is Lorgan want to get like an Ewok tree? I mean, uh, Sammy, maybe Sammy wants to get an Ewok tree. I have no mm-hmm. idea, but not Lauren. And then, um, and so then I, I, I investigate ladies cause I'm a reporter. I'm an investigator. Yeah, I'm an investigative course. reporter when yeah. it comes to star Wars toys. Yeah. And, uh, First of all, the, the picture Lord put up, I thought this was like a big like Christmas tree, like some sort of huge thing to put in your house. I look at, I look at it, it's eight and a half inches high. That's exactly <laughs> the size I need it to be. I have a lot of toys in this house. But, you know, we've got time we've got space management problems all the time in this house. It, it's a it's a Christmas tree with it's, it's picture like a porcelain uh Christmas tree with like Ewoks decorating the tree. <laughs> They claim like in the, in the snowy scene beneath it that there's like an R2-D2 kind of buried in the snow. They say that there's a C-3PO toy. I didn't see it. Um, I did notice like an ATST with like a bow around it under the tree. And I'm like, why would Ewoks be giving themselves ATSTs when they were like blowing up Ewoks? Like it seems like a weird thing to give your relatives when they may have blown up their grandfather, the ATST with a bow on it. But whatever. This is the moment of triumph. They have defeated them, so now they're going to give each other as like war prizes. There you go. Maybe yeah. that's it. Here, mm-hmm. here is the official description on the Disney Store <laughs> uh, site. Ewoking around the, this Christmas tree are a family. So <laughs> yeah, they're basically using Ewoking like Smurfs. Like when you could be Smurfy or hey, let's go Smurf the Smurf. You know, like Ewoking around this Christmas tree are a family of fun furry friends from Planet Endor. As one tops the tree with a stormtrooper helmet, others add cookies and candy canes, and the little ones wait to open presents as a festive tune plays. See, you know, I didn't even read the description. I just saw the photo and I was like, I want it. And you know what the the funny thing was? Like last night, my husband showed me there's an Ewok Christmas sweater that the shop Disney is selling. And I was like, yeah, I would like that as well. So, (laughs) How often are you on the Disney Disney store site? What are you doing? I got a seven-year-old. I'm on the (laughs) Disney store all the time. That's fair. I mean, yeah, Yeah. that's absolutely fair. No, I love the idea that these Ewoks are decorating the Christmas tree with a stormtrooper helmet as the tree topper. Like, oh, here's the... 
you know, it's like when they turn the stormtrooper helmets into bongos. Yeah. At the end. Yeah, yeah. But so I'm good. not the only weirdo who wanted this. It's sold out already. So there's other weirdos who wanted this thing as well. I'm not that unusual. Would you really have paid $65 for this? No, absolutely not. I would have okay. waited until it was 50% off on like December 26th <laughs> and bought it. <laughs> That's <laughs> the way to do it. Now that Halloween's over, I'm about to go shopping for all my Halloween decorations. Yeah. Very yeah. Good, good call. Well, okay. So I looked into, listen, I, I didn't stop there. <laughs> Dolly's committed. There were reviews on the website, so I started reading the reviews. Oh my god! <laughs> there's all lot, out. There's a lot of complaints, ladies. Oh, is there? Yeah, there's like the yeah malfunctioning uh, oh. music buttons that don't turn on and off, or only play it for like a second. And, uh, you know, broken resin when it shows up and, and complaints about the Disney customer service. Although I feel like there's everyone's always complaining about everyone's customer service. Yeah. But what was frustrating me as I kept reading these reviews mm-hmm. is the product description and the reviews keep talking about the music that plays. But I'm like, what music? Is it like regular Christmas music? Is it like something from like the Star Wars holiday Christmas album that came out in like the early eighties that John Bon Jovi sang on. Is it like, <laughs> how do you get a, what do you get a Wookiee for Christmas? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when he doesn't use a comb or whatever that song is called. And so I'm figuring it all out. So I had to go deeper. So I started watching YouTube unboxing videos. <laughs> of this stupid thing. Talton, your YouTube recommendations are going to be screwed up for the next 20 years. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. So here's what I discovered. Here's the big expose. It's good. It's good news. It's mm-hmm. good news, ladies. The song it plays is Yub Nub. Oh, oh well, there's a reason to have it. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's not. It, it doesn't sound like it's the original Yub Nub. It's more like a cover version. It's like <laughs> you're not going to see. Uh, you know, Led Zeppelin, you're going to see like, um, you know, whatever the, the Led Zeppelin tribute band may be called Black Dog or whatever, you know, it's like you're not getting the original Yub Nub. You're getting a like a sounds like a, a warmed over cover version of Yub Nub, but it is Yub Nub. Incredible. Uh, the song that we all know was taken out of Return of the Jedi for that sort of like a travesty, a travesty. Yeah, that just weird celebration mm-hmm. music they put in instead. So Yub Nub's back. Incredible. Um, but y- if you good. do order it, it might be broken and you might not be able to hear it. Gotcha. I'm just, I was literally just buying it for the aesthetics of it. So, okay. you know. Nothing says festive like Ewoks and Stormtrooper helmets. Yeah. Will you go back on like Black Friday or Cyber Monday? I don't even know if those are separate things anymore. Lauren, will you go take a sneak peek at the site on Cyber Monday to see if it's on sale. I will, but I will say the Shop Disney site, it it, it really, the the discounts come few and far between. It really is like, you know, I might try. I, the thing is, I think this is just going to be sold out for the entire season. So I really right. don't have any hope unless, right. you know, someone from Shop Disney wants to send it. So it sounds like what you're saying is you need a new hope. Yes, probably. <laughs> wow. But, you know, Thank you also, very much. Also, my wow. husband probably would be like, you're not spending $69 on an Ewok Christmas tree. And I'd be like, just <laughs> you, you watch me. No. <laughs> Wait till you add in the shipping, honey. Yeah. Oh, no, but, well, yeah, you have to get, like, you have to spend $75 to get free shipping. <gasps> I love that you know this that. Is, yeah, why does she know, know that, Devin? <laughs> I do. Watch. This is why I miss the, having Disney stores, because you could just go buy it. Now you have to buy enough to, like, get $75 worth of shipping. 
I hear like Devin and I have direct deposit with our paychecks. Lauren just goes straight to Disney. It just, (laughs) for some reason, it just goes straight to the Disney store. Yeah, pretty much. All right. We're going to have Kyle Solar on in just a little bit to talk about this latest episode of Andor. But first, want to get your thoughts. We're in this sort of um, three episode arc, we know, where Cassian is in this prison sort of uh, factory labor situation with a very hot floor uh, and trying to get. Get this boy, uh, what's his name? Kin? Kin Loy or something like that? He's trying to get, what's it? what is it? Andy Serkis is Kino Loy. Kino Loy, all right, yeah. Uh, trying to get him to sort of uh, rebel and lead a rebellion. Uh, what'd you guys think of this week's episode? Lauren, what'd you, what do you make of it? I thought this was a pretty good one. Um, sort of see Kino coming around to the fact that, like Kino is very much like, I'm just doing my time. We're gonna gonna do this. And then like, you know, there's that key moment at the end where they, they sort of realize that they're not they're not getting out of this situation, no matter how well they do, no matter how much uh, they build for the Empire. And what exactly are they building? That's what I'm kind of curious. Like, I'm like, are these like the parts of the TIE Fighters on the outside? You know, I keep you waiting. Just... You know, they, they keep saying like, all right, hands away. Yeah. I keep waiting for someone to get his hand crushed. I'm like, when's that old yeah. dude's hand going to get crushed? Because they're clearly yeah. setting yeah. that up and it hasn't happened yet. I was just like, yeah, what exactly are they building? And, and, and it's just this entire factory just building this one thing. Um, the Mon Mothma stuff again, and we find out that uh, Bell is related to Mon Mothma. <laughs> I thought that was the big, like, oh, I thought yeah. that was so fascinating. We find out that, like, Bell's basically a rich girl who's decided to join the rebellion. And um, so I thought that was super fascinating. And how um, Mon was basically like, could you just pretend you're just being a spoiled rich girl for a while? Like, I, my nerves can't take this right now. Like, I, I'm just imagining what, like, you know, Val's mother's been uh, saying to Mon over the holonet. Like, please, where is she? I don't know. I just, I love that whenever Mon Mothma's talking the Senate, like, nobody's listening. Yeah, like, no there's just literally If you've no ever one. watched the House or Senate in D.C. C-span. Like, no, yeah, nobody's yeah. ever listening. I've actually yeah. been on the, like, you know, I've been in the building because I, I, um, I interned in Congress when I was in grad school. So I just yeah. remember no one's ever paying attention in, the, in this building. Yeah. Uh, Devin, what did you make of the episode? What were your big takeaways? I really like this episode. I've I've really enjoyed, I mean, look, you know, I love me some Andy Serkis. I'm never mm-hmm. mad when he shows mm-hmm. up. I think he's having like, he. I really love his, his whole arc here. And yeah, it's kind of fascinating. Something that the show seems to be setting up is sort of all the different entry points to rebellion. You know, you've got sort of like the spoiled rich girl, you've got the um, you know, elite politician, but then you've got like, you know, people like Cassian or, you know, people like Andy Serkis who are sort of like, you know, uh, like, like little baby steps towards rebellion. And then you've got, you know, RIP, the guy who, you know, with Nemec and his manifesto, you've just got all these different sort of like entry points to like, these are the, the different building blocks of the rebellion. So I found that I've been finding that very interesting, um, you know, kind of over the course of these episodes. I, I yeah, you know, we, we watched these arc of three together. I think it was in this week's, my favorite part is when, Cassian's trying to convince Kino to sort of like do a big escape. And they're this is back when they're in their little pods, you know, where they mm-hmm. sleep. And Kino just like turns his back onto the side. Just <laughs> like, like, it's like an angry like like spouse just like turning on the side of the bed, like ripping the covers over themselves. It's so great. I love the the like the production design and everything in this this prison is just like so weird yes. and, and fun. I feel like we see so many space prisons and so many sci-fi fantasy prisons. And I'm like, okay, this is actually one that feels like it's very familiar in, in many ways. But also I'm like, they've done a very good job of sort of like building out this world and like making it feel more, you know, m- more interesting than sort of just your generic fantasy sci-fi space prison. 
totally it, it was weird, and I'm pretty sure this is not intentional, but there were scenes where I'm like, this reminds me of the Galactic Star Cruiser. No windows, you get your little no bunk. <laughs> Just yeah. some of like the stuff that they have on the walls. Well, I I agree with you so much. And like it it what I love about it is that it's how can you do something that feels familiar, you know? Okay, we're gonna have a prison break and it's uh, that story. It's kind of like what Devin said, like before they had the heist story. It yep. feels familiar, but it also looks and feels different. Like the whole the, it looks totally different. The prison outfits look different. I love the orange again. Uh, I love, you know, the concept of just like how they keep the prisoners in line with the hot floors and the electromagnetic stuff. It's just it's it's how you take a really familiar concept, but you put a new spin on it and a new feel. I, I think it's great. Yeah, I think that's kind of been my my overall reaction to this show. Uh, it's it's. I mean, it feels like Star Wars. It feels like you know a lot of very familiar sci fi fantasy tropes, but it but it feels a little elevated. It feels like it has, you know, like they took it a step further in some ways. And so I've I've been I've been happy with that, and um, I'm hopeful that we see we get to see more of it. I don't care what's happening on Ferrix at all. Don't care about. I don't care about Bix. <laughs> yeah, They're I'm torturing Bix. Like you know, you know, I, I've only found that interesting where it's crossing with Deidre. And, um, you know, right. and Cyril, who continues to be a complete weirdo in a way that I very oh, much Oh, he's enjoy. so creepy. Yeah, he's just totally, I'm like, total weirdo man, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So, but yeah, the, well, the rest of the Ferrick stuff, I'm just like, mm, The one care. thing I'll say that I liked, the only thing I liked about the Bix thing is uh, there was a little sort of homage to the original trilogy. If you see, she's being intentional or not mm-hmm. where Bix is being tortured and the door just shuts. And then we see the Imperial boot marching by, which was just yeah. such an original trilogy mm-hmm. type shot, which was really cool. I have to say the, the most traumatizing moment for me in the original star Wars was, well, there was two. One was, um, Amperu and uncle Owen's charred skeleton bodies. My yeah. dad always made me cover my eyes at that point. Cause he showed this to me for the first time when I was like four years old and he knew it freaked me out. And the other one was when, uh, the pro, the, the interrogate, the torture droid, uh, yeah. comes in to get uh princess Leia with like the big syringe and it's yes. just, like, this big floating sinister ball. And I just, something about that like burned itself into four year old me's brain. And so I got, I got strong, you know, princess Leia torture droid vibes here. And it, it sort of made me feel like I was four years old again. And I was like, Ooh. are you afraid of needles? Not particularly, um, but something about like the just the way that scene is. You know, you don't hear any screaming, you don't see Mm -hmm. any torture, but just like the dread of you see the door close behind the droid. Something about that just got inside my head when I was a kid. Don't like Uh, it. Yeah, scary. It totally is. Uh, All right, so we talked about Cyril. Uh, (laughs) My other favorite thing of the episode was when he's having one of those scenes with his mom, who's just so great. Oh, she's so good. (laughs) And she's annoying him as she tends Mm -hmm. to do. And he's annoyed that she went through his private box, which sounds dirty, but it's not. Uh, and then at one point, he tries to like drown her out or talking. So he just starts slurping his cereal really loudly, which <laughs> is so great. So good. This is a power move. So uh, and I love how she's like harping on him. And then he's like, I got a promotion. She's like, that's so wonderful. Your <laughs> uncle will be so proud. I knew you could do it. I've never doubted you for a second. <laughs> he is just teasing the interview. We'll play for you in just a minute with him. He has some really interesting things to say about like, Cyril, his relationship with his mother and how that sort of defined him. It's its its pretty fascinating. But what fascinates me even more, and I know we've all loved the Cyril Edie stuff, but now that we're getting more and more Cyril and Deidre, and he's literally like, I love how she, he's like waiting for her out in the rain to thank her. And then she's like, are you stalking me? It's like, <laughs> it's like yeah, he 
totally is stalking you. It's just, I think it's a super awkward speech about how now he realizes life is worth living and, and she's trying to, and she's just like having none of it. She's like, do you just like stay away from me? Yeah. I'm going to put a restraining order on you and you're going out a rim if you keep this up and you know, he's going to keep it up. He can't stop. He can't help himself. He can't stop. You know, I mean, he has a little bit of a crush. I mean, like I get it. He's like, okay, here's this, this hot, cool lady who understands my, my obsession with the rules and also hates Cassie and Andor as much as I do. So obviously he's like, yeah, I'll wait outside in the rain for you. Whatever, whatever you want. This is my true love. Like, you know, she just (laughs) has to realize it. And she's like, uh, get the hell away from me. I'm going to say, I have systems to conquer. Get out of my face. They're Respect. just like it's like they're just having a, a big one, one like uptight off. Like who's more uptight? <laughs> you know what I mean? And like just like who's whose uniform is crisper? You know? Seriously. Like, the ironing. So Ugh. Uh so basically it ends and finally Kino is now seems like he's gonna be game to make a move because he finally answers Cassian's question in terms of how many guards are on each level. I know we all know what happens because we've 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 seen it um, play out. So without spoiling what happens, we talked about this a little bit last week. How are we feeling about these this um, three pack of episodes and the pacing that they're going through this uh, uh, attempted prison break? Listen, we know Cassian's getting out at some point somewhere right. because we've seen Rogue One. Um, but how do you how are y'all feeling about it? I'm into it. I've I've liked this three episode arc quite a bit. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've said this from the beginning. I was pretty cool on the show, you know, especially the first couple episodes. But the more I like this sort of three episode structure, um, I I really like all the prison break stuff. Again, happy, always happy to see Andy Circus. Um, so yeah, I've I've been into it. I agree that I could do a little less. Uh, I, I just I I don't really care that much about Ferrix right now. No. Sorry, um, but they're not giving us a lot of it, which is no. good. yeah. Very so quick. It's very it's it's like quick little check-ins, very much. So we're spending most of our time in Mon Mothma's apartment or in the jail, which, you know, to maybe Mon Mothma's apartment sort of is a jail for her, which is mm-hmm. something that we learn. Now we, we know Lauren has a big crush on Mon Mothma's childhood friend. So Lauren, <laughs> did you get enough of him this week for your liking or not? <laughs> He's just having, you know, uh well we did hear that um, you know, Perrin thinks that uh that Tay was uh Mon yeah. Mothma's boyfriend. So I thought that was interesting. There was a little bit more hint about like Shindrel and customs and of you know, young marriage and all these sort of things. I really would like to see uh Sandril like one one of these days. We talk about it a lot and you know, I would like to, you know, I'm sure we've seen it in probably some of the, the ancillary material that I have not seen, but uh, I I would love to go visit because it sounds like an interesting place. Um, you know, I was cool as well at the beginning of Andor, but I am liking it. I still don't quite understand the social media. Like, there's a lot of people on social media who are like, this is the best Star Wars ever. Star right. Wars has never taken on fascists. And I'm like, have you ever watched Star Wars yeah, before? Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of like <laughs> over-exaggeration on Twitter about this show where I'm like, have you watched this anything else in Star Wars? Because you're just like, okay. I mean, I like the fact that it is more adult. And I know there's been people bo- bemoaning that it, the ratings aren't so high. But I mean, it's like, yeah, this is made for adults. It's not made for kids. Kids, I, and I around a lot of kids, they like lightsabers. They like Jedis. This is, you know, the internal politicking of a rebellion. 
this is not going to generally appeal to children. So it is really interesting how it, when you think about it, it is kind of real. It, well, you guys fact check me on this as I make up a fact on, on the fly, <laughs> but it does seem to be the first Star Wars property that really has zero either comedic relief or cutesy, putesy, like, you know, like, like Mandalorian didn't have tons of cut, but had baby Yoda who obviously yeah, right. was super cute and like plush toys that like Lauren has 20 of. Um, and even Obi-Wan Kenobi had Leia's little droid and little things of it that. Just had, and I also had Leia. So, which is, I mean, it was, Leia was appealing to my daughter when she was watching it. And like, there's not really any. Right. And Kamal Nanjani, who clearly yeah. was doing some comedic stuff when we first met him. Like this really has none of that, mm-hmm. like at all. Uh, which is an interesting choice, like you said, because it's really not making an attempt to, I mean, they've got like, you know, the fir- very first scene of the show, I think was in a brothel. Yeah. Right. You know, so we were talking about, you know, Shop Disney. I don't know what the the like the tie-in mm. stuff for, for Andor <laughs> would be. It's like a little like little jailhouse doll yeah. set, like dollhouse. <laughs> like I I don't know exactly what the tie-in black, would be. A black series, uh Andy Circus. That's probably about it. Right. Like, yeah. There's not a lot. Seriously. But yeah, it's just it's just interesting because I see people bemoaning that the thing. And I was just like, well, if they're gonna make an adult thing, like and the thing that's really geared toward adults, and I'm glad that like Star Wars covers a wide variety of material. And age ranges like there's the Lego shorts for kids. There's, but I like I'm glad that they're trying something that's you know more focused on adults. But I don't think you can you know be glad they're doing something you know more focused on adults than bemoan that you know kids aren't watching. It's like well, kids aren't supposed to be watching this right now. This isn't made for children as a lot of other Star Wars stuff has been. Yeah, so, that's yeah. a good point. Uh, well, I spoke with Kyle Solar, as previously mentioned. He plays Cyril, the serial lover on Andor. Uh, we had an amazing chat about this amazing weirdo uh, that he plays, and we'll play that for you right after this quick break. Kyle, let, let's get to the most important question right off the bat. What is Cyril Karn's obsession with space cereal? What is going on with this space cereal I keep seeing you eat? Have you tasted it, man? It's no, no. It tastes like dreams and unicorns. It's like, it's the best thing ever. I remember when uh, the props people were talking to me, they're like, you know, is there anything that you don't eat and stuff? And I was like, no, no, no. What's, what's this for? It's like, it's, it's for your breakfast. And I was like, what the hell is, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing to me? And um, they, they came up with these like Star Wars Cocoa Pops, um, which are like surprisingly delicious. Yeah. I was wondering, cause like the coloring on it makes it almost look like moldy, the weird sort of spots and stuff. I'm like, uh, is that like fresh? Like, Yeah. Well, I'm actually pretty sure that Edie has been keeping that cereal since Cyril left home. So um, it's probably been the same batch for like 10 years in the cupboard waiting for him to come back. Well, you get, you get some blue milk in there too, sort of taste that up. Like That's right. That's I, right. I, 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 love, I, love, I love the one scene we see in, in the episode that just came out, episode nine, where he tries to drown out the sound of his mother's voice by slurping down his cereal milk. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I tried to come up with different ways to, um, well, you know, piss Catherine off, uh, who's such a beautiful performer, and and we got to play around with each other a lot. But also, that you can see, I think, in the progression of the episodes, he chooses to to wage war with his mother through 
the material aspect of his breakfast food, which is so kind of demoralizing and uh, infantilizing, actually, for her to keep serving him these like Star Wars Cocoa Pops. Because it's also a signifier that she doesn't know him anymore. He doesn't doesn't know who he is. And so, yeah, so so kind of incrementally, bit by bit, he starts to get a little bit more kind of aggressive with his with his eating. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you what those scenes were like uh, playing with Catherine Hunter, who plays Edie, your mother, because I, I just I love her voice. I just love everything about her as well. And I, I find this dynamic, even when you two, we first see you meet, just so fascinating. Oh, man. I mean, she's just incredible. I've seen her on stage a number of times, and she just really is one of those performers that, like, she's a shapeshifter, man. She she really is made from other stuff. She can just make kind of magic happen in the moment. And um, so when Tony told me that I was going to be going home to live with my mom after being unceremoniously dismissed, I was like, what and have like scenes with Catherine Hunter? That's awesome. <laughs> and but it 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 was cool because those those scenes are all so psychologically potent. You know, they're kind of written in a way, kind of like a pinter play or something. There's so much in what isn't being said. And um yeah, I'd like I I never anticipated that to kind of show up in Star Wars. I, I love when you told my uh, colleague and podcast co-host Devin Kogan how you're playing Cyril like he has a wasp stuck in his mouth, which is like the perfect description. And yeah. and and I, I this character is just so he's so weird. Like, where does this like obsessive nature of his come from? Is this is this nature? Is it nurture? Did his mother make him this way, or like where did this all come from in your eyes, Kyle? Well, I think you know I had a I had some long chats with Tony at the very beginning about you know, where does this dude come from? What makes him tick? And I really wanted to know where he ended up. And Tony wouldn't tell me that he, I think really smartly was giving me a gift of just living in not knowing where he was going. But what really helped me was having this really dominating overbearing mother where nothing was ever good enough. And you can see her obsession with her only child is so intense that that would have filtered directly through to Cyril. But then also some of it is nature. I think it's, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say half and half 50, 50 necessarily, but he definitely comes from a place of lack where he didn't grow up with much. I mean, you, you see his family home where the sun, like the sun hits the window for like three seconds every day. And, um, they live on top of each other in this kind of like, you know, cubicle kind of prison. And you discover, I think, with Cyril that everything, everything was kind of a handout. You know, his job at the at um, the corporate security was a handout. The job he gets after that was a handout. You know, he's been having these favors done for him because he's kind of like a runt of a litter that doesn't exist. And so he has felt that and seen that and then also placed himself outside of society and thought, well, okay, I guess if I'm not good enough, then I flip that where nobody is actually good enough for me. And then my standards are so high that nobody can please me just like his mother. And that real like obsessiveness with order and cleanliness and tailoring, you know, is like, um, 
Yeah, direct influence from from that's a really long way of saying both nature and nurture. Yeah, mm. I find him so fascinating because I feel like usually when we see sort of these types of characters, they're one of two things. These sort of imperial types, they're either uh, very uh, very efficient and very uh, good at their jobs, or they're kind of bumbling at their jobs, right? And I feel like in Cyril, we see a little bit of both. Like he's he's he sees things other people don't see, and he's he he knows how to get some things done. But then you see him like try to give like a talk to the troops. It's one of my favorite scenes. He's trying to like inspire the troops before landing on the planet, and like he doesn't know what to say, and everyone's kind of rolling their eyes. Yeah, he's, he's kind of a mess in other ways. So he's, he's it's just like I feel like I even nine episodes in don't have a full handle on him, which I like. So yeah, the the this this first season of Cyril. I mean, I hashed this out with Tony, and it really felt like there was just a uh, kind of adolescent who hadn't fully become a man and he's kind of play acting at being the security officer that he always wanted to be or the isb officer he always desires to be in that moment when he's saying yeah let's go let's go get cassian and then in the heat of the moment when it's like okay now inspire your troops and he sees all these mercenaries who have got like a hundred pounds on him and they're loaded up with their guns and it's getting close to landing and he's like fuck is this the right thing like it's it's i i always tried to approach his bumbling from a kind of oh i really hadn't thought this through all the way my convictions are stronger than the realities of what i'm faced with my convictions are stronger than actually what I can do in the moment. And we've all had those moments in life, right? We're just like, I know this is the right thing to do, or you jump before you think. And he's so passionate to transcend his station that, but he doesn't have the tools yet. And so this first season is him actually sort of learning the tools. And in order to do that, he needs to experience complete failure this huge high, you know, within the space of three episodes, he has a huge high and a terrible low. And then he builds himself up back through the rest of the episodes until you finally see him at the end in a different light, I think. Well, uh, we got to talk about this big scene that we just saw this week between Cyril and, and Deidre. He's essentially stalking her, I guess, and, and says she made him totally. realize- like, like creepy stalker, yeah. <laughs> yeah totally, like <laughs> he's waiting for her behind the pole. And yeah. <laughs> he, but then he says, like, you know, it's really passionate. You, you made me realize life is worth living. There's beauty in the galaxy because she, too, sees what he sees and she's pursuing Cassian. The whole encounter, like, Sir himself is super awkward. Like, do you just, like, lean into the awkwardness when you're filming scenes like this? <laughs> yeah, I try to I try to be really messy. I try to be in that kind of not clear, really, like, what is going on here? Um, I've worked with some really wonderful people who who kind of I just thought it was more interesting to you know I did a play with Lori Metcalf years ago and she just flipped what everybody else thought this character should be doing and she just kind of made it weird and a bit awkward and yet incredibly real and um I think I was also looking for kind of like humor within Cyril as well you know that like he, he's he's just a bit unformed you know he's he's been on the sidelines for so long he's been solo for so long that he doesn't have 
I mean, I look into a lot of this as well in terms of um, behavior deficiencies and alterations and stuff that he might have. But I, I think socially he's got some big blocks. Like he does well in his own mind, but when it comes to communicating and connecting with people, it, it's like a, it's a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the communication then like? We're talking about the characters, Cyril and Deidre. What about between you and Denise, the actors, when you're filming scenes like this? How are you two interacting either before or in between takes? Making jokes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think I think because uh, the natures of sort of first meetings and our, our characters are so kind of intense, I, I, I don't know. We kind of balanced it out, to be honest. Sometimes we'd be really like in our own thing and other times we'd be kind of cracking jokes and... And that that's a delicate balance with like each actor, you know, what, what do they need today? How are they, what do they want to do today? And sometimes that doesn't marry up, but yeah, with Denise, we, we, we found a kind of like, we could play, but also like be super, I don't know, kind of, you know, closed yeah. down. About. When, when you need to be, is, is Cyril like romantically attracted to Deidre at all? Or is this strictly professional or at least what, what he sees as professional, even if, if she doesn't. I think she represents so much to him that you know going you know deeply going into this kind of adolescent sort of not awakening of Cyril she represents an ideal but also a a kind of I don't I don't want to say like twin flame or but maybe I will I'll say twin flame <laughs> somebody who has that same drive and obsession and desire for power and order and doing the right thing at whatever the cost and um and is also taken by the fact that that it's a a woman I mean she's in the ISB which I mean count the number of women you see sitting around that table and um I think that all is kind of like a huge just explosion for him. And um, I think he doesn't know if it's romantic. You know, if it does become that, I, I, I don't think he really understands. I think he's just kind of like vibrating off of her frequency, you know? Yeah. Uh, I know this is where you'll have to be careful as we talk about what's coming up. But, you know, she says in that scene, you know, she'll have him in a cage in the outer rim if he keeps pursuing this. But if we know anything about this character, I'm guessing he can't help himself. We we haven't seen him be able to help himself all season long. So I, guess, I, I can't see him just sort of shutting it down and going back to his cube, right? Yeah, no, no, that's definitely not going to happen. <laughs> no, he's doggedly, he doggedly stays on course. And, and that's the beautiful thing about something like Cyril and actually all these characters, whether they're on the Imperial side or the Rebel side, like they're actually all staging their mini rebellions. They're all really just like going against what their superiors, what their family, what everybody else is telling them to do because of this one thing, Cassian. And um, that's been pretty cool. I'm fascinated by the character. I can't wait to see uh, where, where he goes. I can't wait to see if you finally swallow the wasp or if the wasp gets out, we'll have to keep stay tuned. But, uh, <laughs> but I love chatting about him with you. Thanks so much for the time, Kyle. This has been awesome. Thanks so much, man. All right, our thanks to Kyle Soler for hanging out with us this week, and thanks to you for hanging out with us as well. If you've not done so already, 
please follow and rate the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate all of the above. But why stop there? You can also hit us up on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at More Lore. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>